Hello, everyone. Hello, <laughs> that music is groovy. La, 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 la. Good to see you all. Thank you for joining us on A Reason for Hope once again today. We're glad that you're out there joining us for another live hour of your Bible questions. That's what A Reason for Hope is all about. You can send in your questions on the Bible. Maybe there's a verse or passage of Scripture that has confused you. You'd like it explained a little bit more, maybe even something you're going through in your life and you wonder what the Bible says about your circumstances, maybe things going on in Israel, the Middle East, uh, so much going on there. How does that relate to uh, Bible prophecy and end times? Uh, maybe other religions and worldviews as it relates to Christianity, anything along those lines, any Bible question you have, as long as it's an honest question, a sincere question, uh, we appreciate that. And as long as you know we are going to, as accurately as we, as we possibly can, give you the answer straight from God's Word, um, His Word, the Bible. And that's what we're all about, The Reason for Hope. My name is Dave Robson. I'm your host today. I'm going to be on all those platforms with you as your questions come on in. I'll be going over those in just a moment with us today on this Wednesday. What is it? October 18th. Here we have Pastor Scott Richards. He's the senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, where we're hey, broadcasting from. How are you doing? <laughs> doing great. Good to see you. No, no shorter things to talk about today. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get yeah. a bit of an update from you yeah. as things unfold. We appreciate that. And also, Sean Richards, Pastor Sean Richards, your son, the, the younger. How are you doing today? Engaging in a mild amount of tomfoolery. <laughs> as always. Yes. As always. Moderate amounts. Yeah. <laughs> we have a local uh, controlled burn going on at some, um, uh, what would you call that place? They do experiments. They call it the uh, Sweetwater Wildlife yeah. Reserve. Wetland Reserve. Yeah. yeah. It's a great place for bird migration, but they have to keep track of the overgrowth. So every couple of years or so, they have to uh, intentionally set a fire without letting it go beyond borders. Right. And, uh, the ashes raining from the heavens. Yes, and it smells like bonfires that I used to have with my grandfather on a Saturday night. So it's kind of uh, nostalgic, but which is your problem because I don't have a sense of smell anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to believe me on that. But uh, yeah, well, thank you both for being here. Your faithfulness to uh, this ministry, um, we appreciate it. We'll get to um, your questions later on after a bit of a update from Pastor Scott here. But let me go over the platforms, how you can join us. The reason for hope we're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. here in Tucson, Arizona, Mountain Standard Time. It's a ministry and outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship. If you are in the Tucson area looking for somewhere to worship, somewhere to, to grow and um, get in the word, you're more than work welcome to join us. We're near Prince and I-10 on the west side of the freeway there. If you go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com, you can get more information. We teach uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, as a lot of Calvary chapels do, pretty much all Calvary chapels. I think that's the distinctive. Uh, we have a service tonight, Wednesday nights, uh, going through the book of Ezekiel. And then Sunday, we have three morning services going through the book of Acts currently. So check us out uh, again, as I said, calvarychristianfellowship.com. If you go to that uh, Watch Live tab, we're streaming live to that page. It will take you out to our live page. You can get directly there if you type in ccftucson.online.church. That will take you to that same page. When we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next event. You'll see a schedule of upcoming events. But as we are live right now, you will see the video there. You can sign in with the username. And there's a chat function where you can interact with us and send us your questions. And we'll get to those later on the show today. Uh, we're on Facebook as well, live there on Facebook, facebook.com slash CCF Tucson or Calvary Christian Fellowship at Tucson. Don't forget to like and share, we'd appreciate that. But that's another way you can send your question in the chat function that's attached to that live video. We have an app as well for your mobile device. Uh, you guessed it, Calvary Christian Fellowship at Tucson in your app store. 
you'll see us there. Look for that red background with the white uh, Calvary Chapel Dove logo as there are several Calvary Christian fellowships around the world. So red background, white Dove logo is us. We're also on Roku and uh, Apple TV if you have those devices. Again, look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your channel store and you can watch us on your big screen as well. We're on YouTube live as we speak. Uh, A Reason for Hope is the name of the channel. A Reason for Hope there on YouTube. Once again, uh, we'd love it if you would like and subscribe. And that notification bell, if you click on that, you'll get uh, prompted when we're live so you won't have to miss the show. The live tab, if you click on that on uh, YouTube, anytime we've been live, it will archive right there. So if you missed a show or you want to recap on one of the updates we did or a question we did, anything like that, that's a great resource for you as well. Pastor Scott here is on Twitter, Scott R4H, Scott letter R number four letter H on Twitter. I'm sure it's a hubbub of all kinds of things going on. Yeah, right quite, a, quite a surge of followers as of late. Oh, really? yeah. oh good. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, we appreciate Pastor Scott's take and um, uh, just reports on what's going on in the Middle East and in Israel. Um, so follow on with him on Twitter or X or whatever they've been called these days. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Scott R for H. We're on Rumble as well. Uh, that's a newer newer to us platform. A reason for hope by Q and A. We're not live there, but we post videos there. So um, if you're on the Rumble platform, a reason for hope Bible Q and A. And our email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questions for hope spelled out at gmail.com if you'd like to send your question or interact with us there as well. Uh, welcome if you're listening to us on the radio, Reach Radio or another radio affiliate. Welcome. Drive safe if you're on your drive time. Keep in mind that you are listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded. We're not live with you on the radio. We are live on those other aforementioned platforms. But questionsforhope at gmail.com, once again, is our email address. You can use that email to send your question, and we'll get to that on our next show. So whatever platform you found us on, it's good to be aware of those different ones in case you need to jump around for technical reasons or whatever. CalvaryChristianFellowship.com is a great home base. We encourage you to use that, especially if you're not on social media or you're boycotting one of them for whatever reason, (laughs) Uh, as people do. Sometimes for you know different reasons you're running from people. I don't know what you're doing, but anyway, those that's different ways you can join us. And again, send your question in. Any question on the Bible, we'd love to um, jump into the Word, delve into the Word, and answer those. So, with all that being said, why don't we pray for our show today, Pastor Absolutely. Scott? Would you like to pray for us today? Sure, love to. Yeah. Father, thank you that we can come before you and seek your wisdom uh, in these times. You say if anyone lacks wisdom, we should ask of you, and you'll give to all men liberally and without reproach, and it shall be given. Uh, But let us ask in faith with no doubting, for you say the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not such a man think he'll receive anything from the Lord. Lord, we want to receive from you. And so, Lord, uh, we want to have that same kind of heart and attitude that uh, Samuel was taught as a young boy, just to say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Uh, I I pray, Father, that we won't uh, have a right of first refusal attitude towards your word. Like, I'll consider that but the decision's still mine. Lord, your ways are good ways, and your ways are healing ways, and your ways lead us to green pasture and still water where our souls can be restored. Everything we need uh, to be a contented sheep is just by walking in your ways. And so, Lord, whether we're talking about prophecy, practical issues, uh, maybe even some uh, questions that people have in their hearts and their minds, I pray your word would go forth in power. Uh, it never returns you void. I pray, Father, for the peace of Jerusalem right now and the leaders of Israel as uh, things are in such dire straits. I pray for the leaders 
of our nation, that you would give us wisdom, and the wisdom to stand wholeheartedly and firmly uh, with uh, your chosen people, the sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in the midst of uh, these barbaric and mm-hmm. terroristic uh, assaults. Uh, Lord, we do pray that uh, this would be a wake-up call to many, many people that uh, being led by feelings and emotions, no matter how strong, will lead you astray. But uh, your word, unchanging, solid, sure, is going to lead us to the place we need to go. So bless this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Amen, indeed. Well, what's the latest? Sorry, well, well what isn't the latest <laughs> these days? Uh, biggest uh, uh, story trending on Twitter now is the uh, violent uh, Hamas sympathizing uh, protest uh, at Capitol Hill. Uh, you remember the January 6th uh, protests, uh, which were labeled uh, with varying degrees of hysteria as a threat to our democracy, an insurrection, an attempted coup. Mm. Well, we had a very similar thing take place in Capitol Hill. While Congress was in session, a large group of pro-Hamas demonstrators not only uh, uh, came around the Capitol, but actually entered into the Capitol rotunda, uh, disrupted business. Uh, One was so bold as to crash into a uh, Senate Foreign Relations briefing while it was happening, uh, promptly arrested. Uh, A number of violent uh, demonstrators have been taken away. But generally speaking, uh, the Capitol Police allowed these individuals to occupy the Capitol for quite some time. Uh, they were aided and abetted by uh, certain uh, representatives, like uh, the uh, uh, representative from uh, Michigan, uh, Congresswoman uh, Talib, who is uh, a uh, proud Palestinian, and as far as her background goes, a member of the squad, as they call themselves, which tend to support all things Islamic uh, going on in the Middle East, especially their campaign against uh, Israel. Uh, Rachel Tlaib, uh, unfortunately, uh, used... Rashida. Uh, huh? Rashida Tlaib? I believe it's, she goes by Rachel or Rashida. But uh, anyway, uh, unfortunately used her time uh, addressing a crowd to reiterate uh, a hot-button issue that we've been dealing with uh, on our Twitter site, uh, the idea of uh, who was to blame for the destruction of the Baptist Hospital in Gaza City. Well, it has been confirmed uh, by multiple sources, including uh, the President of the United States during his trip to Israel earlier today, that the destruction of this hospital was caused by a malfunctioning rocket that was launched by mm. Hamas uh, uh, ally, uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Uh, the rocket blew up uh, in the air. Apparently, large pieces of shrapnel fell on the hospital. Uh, people are saying, well, how would that cause the whole hospital to be destroyed? Well, you need to realize that one of the tactics that Hamas uses quite often is to store their weapons and explosives in the basements of hospitals so that if uh, Israel goes after these stores, they can uh, blame it on uh, a war crime, an uh, anti-humanitarian act. Well, uh, the bottom line is this. Uh, it was just amazing how quickly uh, people jumped to the conclusion that Israel had to be involved with this, that this was Israel's fault. Uh, Especially amazing uh, when the very same uh, interesting commentators and bad actors were more than happy to say, oh, well, this deal about uh, Hamas coming in and massacring 200 people at a music concert 
uh, oh yeah, the thing about going to uh, these Israeli communities and actually beheading uh, the uh, the uh, children that they would encounter there. Oh, we, we, we can't jump to conclusions there. We really have to wait uh, because you just never know what's true in the fog of war. Well, uh, as soon as uh, this event took place, uh, these same people immediately jumped in and said, yes, Israel is definitely to blame. This is what they do. Well, we found out uh, from a number of different sources now that uh, this was not uh, what had taken place. As a matter of fact, uh, Israel, the IDF, has even intercepted communications between uh, Hamas uh, commanders uh, saying, what in the world just happened here? It seems like uh, uh, Islamic Jihad launched a missile from behind the cemetery near the hospital. Apparently it malfunctioned. Oh no, what are we going to do? Well, it took them about five minutes to say, I know what we're going to do. We're going to blame Israel. So, uh, you know, it's just very interesting how you see this, this double standard going on. Uh, a group of individuals can take over the Capitol Rotunda. Uh, they can break into Senate hearings and suddenly it's not that bad anymore. It's just a peaceful protest rather than an insurrection. So uh, my two cents worth on this, and I speak as someone that worked in radio and television. Uh, at one point I was uh, given a uh, award for contributions by the Associated Press when I worked in radio and television. Uh, I'll tell you the one thing that I've seen change since my days in radio and television news is that uh, back in the day, uh, not long after the earth cooled and dinosaurs still roamed, one of the things that we were drilled on was that uh, when you reported, no one cares about your opinion. Just the facts. Report what happened. This isn't editorial. This is the news branch. And there was always a very hard line of demarcation in between. Well, now we have what's called advocacy journalism, where J school students are taught uh, not only is it okay to have a point of view, but it's absolutely uh, okay if you have a properly vetted point of view uh, that agrees with the powers that be uh, to go ahead and share that as liberally as you want, even if it means, well, uh, twerking and tweaking the facts on the ground. So uh, we spent uh, quite a bit of time on our Twitter site uh, rebuffing some of the people that were saying, oh, Israel is definitely to blame and we can't know and all of this. Yes, we can know. Uh, this is a standard operating procedure for the, the uh, Palestinians. The other thing that is happening as we speak, uh, President Biden has left Israel uh, after his uh, meeting with Benjamin Netanyahu. You may know if you tuned in on Monday that the original plan was to have a major Middle Eastern summit in Amman, Jordan, with uh, the, uh, the King Abdullah of, uh, of Jordan, uh, uh, President al-Sisi of Egypt was supposed to attend, as well as Mahmoud Abbas, the head of the Palestinian Authority. Well, uh, all three of those individuals uh, said, thanks, but no thanks. We're not showing up for a meeting with Joe Biden along this line. Why? Because the people that are controlling this operation, uh, the people that are holding Hamas's leash, the Iranians, uh, came out with a statement saying that uh, the United States and Israel are complete allies in all of this and they're our enemies. Now, when the hospital blew up and immediately the bad actors in Hamas and their willing uh, sycophants in the, the media immediately blamed Israel for this, well, suddenly you had riots on the streets. You had riots in Amman, Jordan. You had riots in Beirut, Lebanon. You had riots in the West Bank. 
you had, uh, you know, again, uh, riots in uh, Tunisia, other places along these lines, riots mm-hmm. in Paris, France, uh, and uh, the threatening of takeovers of uh, embassies, a la the uh, Iranian hostage crisis from way back in 1979. Mm-hmm. So far, uh, no embassies have been breached. Nobody's been taken hostage. But boy, when you saw what was going on in the street and how ginned up the, the rage was, mm-hmm. uh, in fact, uh, one of the representatives of the Mad Mullahs said, we are going to have an unprecedented day of rage after this hospital uh, attack on innocence. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not sure how much more uh, room you have to maneuver as far as making Muslim rage unprecedented. Right. And it, it reminds me of uh, that uh, uh, rockumentary uh, this is Spinal Tap, yeah. where the guy showed his amplifier that went up to 11 right. instead of 10. <laughs> yeah. uh, and he said, but isn't it just as loud as 10? Goes, no, it goes all the way up to 11. Yeah. So I think unprecedented range is, rage is turning the rageometer up to 11. Yeah. It's pretty much what they always do. Or in other words, everything they express in mosques on Friday, but this time it's a Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you know what we've seen... A, from these leaders is they've got to be uh, very dicey in terms of how they handle these things. Because as we saw during the so-called uh, uh, Arab Revolution a few years back, a number of regimes got thrown out of power when people took to the streets and the same thing could happen again. Yep. So you can see why, say, King Abdullah in Jordan with a uh, majority of uh, individuals in his kingdom that uh, identify as being Palestinians. Uh, you can see why uh, al-Sisi in Egypt, uh, again, taking notes from what happened uh, during the uh, revolution that uh, took place not too long ago. You can see why Mahmoud Abbas doesn't want to be a part of all of that because, again, uh, one of the best-kept secrets is that the Palestinians and the uh, Palestinian Authority and Hamas just don't get along. They hate each other. In fact, uh, the reason that uh, Mahmoud Abbas has overstayed his uh, term limit of uh, being the Palestinian president by over 11 years now and counting is because poll after poll shows that if they had an election, his own people would vote him out and vote Hamas in. So you can see why this particular gathering was canceled. It uh, went up in a puff of smoke. Uh, you know, there were the usual uh, declarations of solidarity. However, Uh, Our administration has, uh, just before airtime, authorized over $80 million of humanitarian aid to be sent to Gaza City. Mm. Well, this raises an important question. Who manages and governs Gaza City? It's Hamas. And uh, the idea that somehow, because money is, as they say, fungible, it can be used for all different kinds of purposes, uh, the idea that somehow this is all going to be used to purchase food or medicines or things that the people need, I think is uh, very, very optimistic at best, if not absolutely naive. So again, funding the other side. Speaking of the other side, uh, we've kept you up to date about the fact that there are roughly 300,000 IDF soldiers outside of Gaza in the staging uh, phase of uh, a invasion to take out Uh, Hamas and destroy them once and for all. Uh, To this time, uh, there have just been numerous airstrikes on Hamas infrastructure, command and control centers, weapons depots, things along this line that Israel has done a softening up, if you will. 
But it is very clear to everyone involved that there is going to be no resolution of this conflict until there is an armed incursion. Well, what is Israel facing in this armed incursion? By latest estimate, uh, Hamas has 40,000 fighters ready to battle in the streets, as well as their network of terror tunnels they've constructed over the years. It's going to be, it's, it's not going to be Israel coming in, being out in three days. This is going to be a protracted conflict. Mm. And the other thing that has come up, which is really fascinating, is this. Uh, okay, we've got uh, Israel coming in, say they are, and they will be eventually successful in uh, dealing a, a major blow to Hamas. Well, what happens next? What, what's going to go on after the battle is over? Mm. Well, as long as Iran is still in the business of being the largest state sponsor of terrorism in the world, and this is their focal point, you better believe uh, that uh, the weeds are going to grow back really, really quick right. uh, if nothing is done. So what are the options? What is Israel's options following a successful campaign? Well, in the Jerusalem Post, they laid out four of them. Uh, the first option is that Israel would reoccupy Gaza, either a whole area or part of it, and remain there indefinitely. Uh, the logic behind that is uh, once Hamas is kicked out, the only way to keep them from returning is for Israel to be in control. Well, you know, again, uh, a few weeks ago, the idea of entering in and occupying Gaza uh, would have uh, been dismissed as something from the far, far right of uh, Israeli political thought. But uh, even President Isaac Herzog has said publicly that uh, this idea is definitely out there. They don't want to do it, but the possibility exists. Our own president on 60 Minutes said that this would be a big mistake. Uh, he made his position clear in the meetings that took place earlier today. Mm. Well, after dismantling Hamas, another option is for Israel to hand control of it and its two million residents to the Palestinian Authority. Some people have suggested this. Mm. Well, kids, can you think of some problems with that? Mm. Well, first of all, uh, Mahmoud Abbas is very weak as a leader. Uh, he has overstayed his welcome. He is highly unpopular among the Palestinians. Uh, the, uh, the Palestinian Authority can barely control areas in the West Bank, let alone uh, try to manage a hornet's nest yeah. like Gaza is. Uh, Gaza hates, I, I would say, uh, Hamas hates uh, the Palestinian Authority for political reasons. Mm. They don't feel the, the Palestinian Authority is committed enough. The idea that they have any kind of working relationship with Israel is uh, kowtowing to the infidels. As we see, that's not a very popular move in Islam. And in all fairness, the Hamas organization aren't fans of the Palestinian people either, since they consider them pawns to use their dead bodies for photo ops. Yeah, well, you know, again, means to an end if you will. So, you know, once again, uh, handing Gaza over to the Palestinian Authority, which lost control, by the way, of Gaza in uh, 2007, a very bloody uh, exchange between the two. Mm. Um, well, not only is that going to create a civil war between Palestinians, but uh, it would also necessitate Israel retaining the right to enter the Gaza Strip uh, and uh, basically be the referee. Uh, really problematic. Third option would be for Egypt 
to take control mm. of the area. But uh, President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi has made it abundantly clear he has no interest whatsoever in getting involved with this. In mm. fact, earlier today, uh, President al-Sisi made the statement that if Israel attempts to send Palestinians to Egypt, that would be a declaration of war between Egypt and Israel. Wow. That's as serious as it gets, and yep. with, with good reason. Understand something, Hamas is a subsidiary of the Muslim Brotherhood. Mm. The Muslim Brotherhood is the one that threw out the last Egyptian government, eventually was overturned in a coup, has put al-Sisi in power. Mm. So the last thing in the world this guy wants to do is give, say, the underground network of the Muslim Brotherhood a fresh influx yeah. uh, of people there. So Egypt, absolutely out. Mm. Well, another option would be for Gaza to come under, well, maybe the UN, mm. or maybe an international consortium of nations would come in and run the show, a peacekeeping team, if you will, maybe from the organization of the Islamic Conference or OPEC or some group like this. Well, can you think of some problems with that? How many countries do you know that are just dying to go into Gaza and manage this <laughs> madhouse? Yeah. Not too many. Second, uh, understand something. In Lebanon right now, where Hezbollah is running riot and launching missiles on a semi-regular basis at targets in the Galilee region of Israel and is uh, threatening to swarm over the border. Uh, do you realize there's already a UN peacekeeping force in place there that's supposed to make everybody play nice? They basically have the reputation of just uh, standing there and watching while Hamas sets up their mm. next missile emplacement. So, yeah. you know, once again, Israel would not be too keen in all of that. Yeah. Uh, in addition, you invite all, a, say, these international actors in, say uh, Hamas or their proxies decide to dust things up. Israel then has to go in uh, to a situation where it's going to be hostage central. It's going to be like the... Uh, you know, the, the, the hostage swap meet, if you will. You know, all of these people that came in are gonna be very soft targets for something like this. And uh, again, I would say the odds of peacekeepers trying to keep Hezbollah from uh, taking control or, or one of their other proxies, Hamas, coming back again. Um, well, you know, we really don't know where this is gonna go. Mm. Uh, Israel tends to have an attitude right now of first things first. Uh, let's take care of the problem there immediately. Let's let's deal with Hamas, and uh, you know we'll try to figure out what's going on after that. Uh, well, you know again, as far as the need for an end game goes, Israel really ought to learn from the '67 war. Uh, Israel had a great victory, but had no idea what to do with that victory once it started. For mm -hmm. instance, the massive mess that is on the Temple Mount right now, where Jordan is running the Temple Mount, uh, happened pretty much by a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants idea that uh, IDF uh, Commander Moshe Dan came up with. Okay, we'll give them the Temple Mount and allow them to oversee it. You see, the Muslims were absolutely convinced the next thing that Israel was going to do once they took East Jerusalem and the Temple Mount was to bulldoze the Al-Aqsa Mosque and rebuild their temple. Well, Moshe Dayan, a secular Jew, an atheist by profession, uh, thought, no, we're not going to do that. That's just going to be appealed to the religious weirdos as he saw them. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to use this as a strategic olive branch. We're going to show the Muslim world that we mean them no harm 
Mm. We're even going to allow the Jordanians, in a sense, to control the territory. Well, how has that worked out? Hasn't. Not really well. But uh, again, it's an example of what happens when you haven't sat down and thought through what the implications of all these things are. So, you know, I'm sure that uh, in the Israeli government, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu didn't get where he is without being a very uh, cagey uh, analyst of things political. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm sure they're trying to figure out how to square the circle and, uh, you know, deliver uh, a, a crushing, if not fatal, blow to Hamas, but also what they're going to do with Gaza once it's all said and done. Mm. Um, just pray for wisdom uh, yeah. for, for what happens after all of this, because that's really the big picture. If, if that doesn't happen, well, um, this clash that is going on, the blood spilled, is going to be for absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. And uh, one other thing that I just want to say, because it became such a hot button issue, especially on our Twitter feed last night, there are some that will say that standing with Israel in the midst of this conflict is anti-Christian, mm, because right. we as Christians should be peacekeepers, blessed are the peacemakers, yeah. they shall be called the sons of God, they will quote, uh, how in the world can you stand for Israel when there's going to be innocents, they're going to be harmed in that way? Well, it's a super good question to work through, mm. because we've got to ask ourselves, uh, does Israel have a right in this set of circumstance to defend themselves. Um, you know, it's amazing when these theoretical conversations come up, suddenly the images of beheaded babies seem very far from the conversation. You know, it's almost like saying, well, yeah, the Manson family did slaughter, you know, Sharon Tate and Leo and Rosemary LaBianca, but I'm sure if we sit down and talk with them, we can work something out so they don't do it again. I know, let's give Charlie Manson that sweet recording contract that he's always wanted. I'm sure yeah. he'll behave if we just get him into the studio. Um, if that's the way our police force worked, uh, we'd all be in a, in a lot of trouble. Well, what is a police force but uh, a police force in the macro, if you want to use that term, uh, trying to guarantee the safety and security of the citizens of a country. For them to turn around and say, well, you know, we're so peace-loving, we're just gonna look the other way. Understand something, behavior rewarded is behavior repeated. Okay. If there is not a very strong statement that is made against Hamas, including taking out their capability to wage terroristic attacks against the people of Israel, uh, Israel really won't stand a chance in that region. Uh, you know, the, the interesting thing to me is this, you know, the conflict that is going on with Hamas right now strategically is in a sense uh, kind of, I guess we'd use the term, Sean, a red herring in a, a particular argument, something that distracts from the main point, like look over here, oh, here's a squirrel. What's the main issue here? The main issue is this, even if Israel is successful in dispatching Hamas, Understand, it's Iran that pulls the strings. It's Iran that controls Hezbollah, uh, which is armed to the teeth with far more sophisticated weapons than Hamas or Palestinian Islamic Jihad have in Gaza. Uh, it is, in essence, uh, the mad mullahs in Tehran that control what's going on in Syria and what's happening there. So until the issue with the largest state sponsor of terrorism, according to our own State Department, 
in Iran is dealt with until there is regime change that goes on there. And again, remember, the, the, the people in these places get caught in the middle. I would say uh, that uh, the people in Gaza have uh, voted uh, with their feet and at the ballot box in support of Hamas. I think if you ask the average person there, do you support what they're doing there? They probably would. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you know, we see more and more in Iran how evil always overplays its hand. Uh, you know, the uprisings that have happened, which unfortunately our nation did nothing to support or encourage. We just sort of stips, sat back and said, oh, well, anything to get the Iranians back to the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action talks. We want to definitely get that agreement in place so they'll put off getting a nuke for another 10 years. Not yeah. that they won't get a nuke, only that they will be put off for 10 years. Yeah. Can you imagine these nuts with the nuclear capability? What they would do with that, mm-hmm. motivated by their radical form of Islam? Mm-hmm. Um you know, as if there's any other kind floating around out there. Sure. But, but the bottom line is this. Sooner or later, you're going to have to deal with the, the root of the problem. And the root of the problem has been and will continue to be the fact that the mad mullahs in Iran uh, have made no bones about the fact that uh, they want to take out Israel. They believe that in their own form of end times prophecy, that uh, the world will not see the coming of the Imam Mahdi. He will not come out of his seclusion in the Holy Well of Qum until the whole world is at war, uh, the West and the forces of Islam. He will then reveal himself. He will send Isa, or their version of Jesus, uh, to go before him to do miracles and rout the enemies of Islam. They want to do everything they can to promote this idea uh, 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 Ahmad, uh, Ahmadinejad uh, was uh, a champion of this idea, promoting this idea of being a Twelver, the Twelfth Imam. He even spoke of how people saw a green light around him as he spoke at the UN and talked mm-hmm. about the coming of the Twelfth Imam. So they're very, very serious about all yeah. of this. And just as a side note for those of you who are going, well, you know, Don Richardson, he wrote about how Islam like fits the Antichrist motif to a T. A, we don't know all the details, much like other examples of newspaper eschatology, reading in current events to ultimate fulfillments in prophecy. There are some things, a lot of things even, that the Antichrist proper, the capital A Antichrist, fits into as far as this end times figure and his global system. But it's no more appropriate to jump the gun and say that Islam will be the religion of the Antichrist than communism, than fascism, than any other relief. And Bible prophecy indicates that the Antichrist is just going to use whatever religious systems in this world, including Mystery Babylon, for a time to get what he wants, and then he's going to dispose of it when he's done. Yeah, and I have... Uh, well, not absolute confidence, but great hopes that Islam is going to collapse as an ideology even more so before that time than any other. When it comes to what we need to focus on, it's getting the gospel to people currently under the influence of the spirit of lowercase a antichrist, meaning anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Because as we see, there are consequences, not just to Muhammad's denial that Jesus was killed nor crucified, but also the affirmation that anyone who insults me, anyone who hurts my feels, and anyone who chooses a religion other than what I made up out of a hat is going to be worthy of death. Now, we see in this world that people can be motivated to commit atrocities for much less. But it is not the fulfillment of those things. It's going to get much 
worse when the time comes. The point of emphasis is that this is a spirit of Antichrist alongside Jehovah's Witnesses, alongside Mormons, alongside Christian cultists, and on it goes. Make sure the point of emphasis is, how do I today, filled with the Holy Spirit, use what he equips me with in order to fulfill his marching orders? Because the Muslims are thinking the same thing. The problem is they're not following God, they're following the enemy. And that will be true in the end times of the end times, but it is still true today. The only difference is we still have a job to do. Yeah, the only thing I'd like to add is I'd like to read you some quotes that were posted on uh, Twitter. Uh, and uh, I'd like to play uh, a round of uh, guess the source uh, of these comments. Innocent Israelis were victims of a terrorist attack that resulted in the largest loss of Jewish lives since the Holocaust. Now we know the tragedy of the Gaza hospital was not caused by Israel. I grieve for every innocent person and brave Israeli soldier killed since Hamas started this war. If not for the horrific attacks by Hamas terrorists, thousands of innocent Israelis and Palestinians would be alive today. Now is not the time to talk about a ceasefire. We must support Israel in efforts to eliminate the Hamas terrorists who slaughtered innocent men, women, and children. Hamas does not want peace. They want to destroy Israel. We can talk about a ceasefire after Hamas is neutralized. Mm. Who said that? Mm. What do you think, John? Well, I know the answer. I don't uh, want to spoil it. Oh. Like my show. Okay, Dave, who said that? <laughs> I do not know. Enlighten me. Yeah, well, uh, it sounds to me like uh, maybe a pastor. Yeah. You know, maybe someone who would be very much a part of the hard right yeah. uh, in our political process. You'd be wrong. That was Senator John Fetterman of Pennsylvania, mm. who is a very committed Democrat, but uh, apparently... A low-functioning huh, stroke victim. Yeah, uh, apparently, uh, whoever, if it wasn't him, whoever was writing his tweets hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I th all that is just to say that I think this dis uh, transcends political ideology or party. This isn't a Republican issue. This isn't a Democrat issue. Right. This is uh, standing with the sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And once again, coming back to the bottom line thing that I hope is the, the GPS for our foreign policy here. Uh, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, God says, I will bless those who bless right. the sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, yep. and I will curse those who curse them. I yep. do not want to be under the curse of god no amen amen to that so there thank you go you. yes thank you quite thank a prophecy you. update there yes indeed appreciate that thank Lots you well, stuff <laughs> we have let's see we have four questions that have come on in we have about 20 minutes left i did the math in my head that's about five minutes per question wow <laughs> yeah you're really you. sharp you. i yeah i know i know time that's thank dwindling. you thank and you these are good questions <laughs> these are good questions uh question from uh yanni uh, speaking of spiritual warfare, are there angels and demons overseeing nations, states, places, individual human beings and things, uh, as well as Michael overseeing the nation of Israel, who oversees the United States? So do we know how the troops are dispersed? Is there oversight over specific countries, etc.? Three things. First, um, <laughs> bit of a false claim there that Michael oversees the territory of Israel. That's in Kabbalic mysticism and Jewish mythology, not the Bible. The only association he has with the Jewish people proper, not territory, people, was in Daniel chapter 12. And by the way, they weren't in the territory of Israel. They were currently still living in Babylon. So note that Michael, who's called the chief prince, and we would translate that as our 
archangel, uh, has responsibilities associated with the well-being of the Jewish people, but noting that his territory of influence is over the Jordan River and the surrounding countries, that's false, and we need to make sure that that's clear. Um, the idea that demonic or even heavenly authorities would have some sort of territorial influence mostly comes from Daniel chapter 9 where the angel that was sent to deliver Daniel's prophecy, the 70 weeks prophecy, uh, was restrained from getting the message to him for two weeks until Michael gave him reinforcement and the adversarial creature, the demonic entity that restrained them was referred to as the Prince of Persia. Now, people will take those three words and literally write books with it, and they end up being more a discredit to the field of apologetics and Bible study than anyone else in history because, again, so little is turned into so much. The only other place that we could come to the idea that these heavenly beings have some sort of authority or influence, and I'll, I'll mention two to be fair, are first in first in second Corinthians where Lucifer or Satan is referred to as the prince of the power of the air and that his influence over the world proper has darkened their eyes to the gospel and then of course in the famous armor of God passage in Ephesians chapter 6 where it notes our war is not with flesh and blood but against principalities right. uh, principles or those sort of princely authorities are those in order or authority over a region, and he uses other military terms familiar to the Roman Empire, yep. uh, authorities, powers, and heavenly places. Now again, Kabbalic mysticism and not Christianity, or Judaism for that matter, right. not divine revelation, would build entire anime series, <laughs> to use a modern equivalent, off of like, okay, so there's a type of angel called a power, there's a type of angel called a principality, there's a type of uh, angel called a dominion, and so forth. Now, these are just referring to these spiritual entities having some sort of influence. If we associate them with a territory, that is reading way too much into a little peak into the supernatural that we're given in Daniel 9. And as you can tell, the fallen sinful nature of human beings is to abuse even the good things that we're given, like Revelation. Mm. So when we're talking about this, uh, the principles, I think, are well-intended, but end up going too far to be supported by what they're actually built on. And as you know, a big structure with poor foundations collapses. We don't want to do that. So what are we told about heavenly creatures? Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, they are ministering spirits sent to aid those who will inherit salvation. That's where we can leave it, because the more attention to the inverse, to the demonic authorities that we give them, the more we're playing right into their hands. These creatures trade and deal in false doctrine. If we can, or they can, get us to believe more about them than what's true, then we are not only proponents, but literally staging grounds for false doctrine mm. among the body of Christ. Now, when you encounter these sort of teachings, the best thing to do is note, okay, where and when, chapter and verse, please, I gave them to you. And then with that built on the foundation of, are you sure that means all that? Uh, I, I appreciate the fact that you took the time to write that book, but is this uh, getting a little too sci-fi-y? to actually be history. And the yep. point being made is just that. So regarding the most direct answer possible to that question, the answer is no, we aren't told. Could it be true? I don't know. I haven't been told, so I can't say yes or no. 
when it comes to what we are told, would that come to a rational conclusion from the text that we're actually given? Also no. So be very careful with that because again, I have dis I've seen entire ministries that have served phenomenal purposes among the body of Christ for both apologetics and sound Bible teaching that get caught up in this nonsense and end up spending more time talking about angels and demons than about the commander of the army of the Lord, and that's just tragic. Hmm. So stick to Scripture. What we're told is limited, and that's on purpose. All we need to know is what we're told, and what we're told isn't that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, angels, we are told in uh, the book of Hebrews, are ministering spirits in the Hebrews chapter 1, uh, sent to, to aid those who are, will inherit salvation. We do not want to be ignorant of Satan and his strategies, his right. schemes, if you will. But uh, the Bible never says that we are to obsess on them or try to contact them yeah. or make them the focus of our devotional lives. In fact, there's a really interesting warning in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 18 that says, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into the things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase is that is from God. Now, there's gonna be people uh, that may be well-meaning, maybe not so well-meaning, they're going to try to kind of do the old, uh, oh, oh, look, a squirrel sort of thing in your walk with God. The squirrel in this case is going to be focusing in on angels. Yep. Uh, there was a big fad about angels uh, a few years back. There was a TV program, Touched by an Angel, yep. Michael Landon's Highway to Heaven about angels. Yep. Uh, you know, popular songs, uh, Amy Grant, same angels uh, watching over me and, yep. and so on. Uh, and it was really big. Never fly, uh, never drive faster than your angel can fly. Bumper stickers and all of this. Yeah. And I can just see what the angels' reaction was. They were like, "Oh, yeah. well, you know, they miss, they're missing the point." You know, how uh, do we keep this in balance? Well, we shouldn't be ignorant of the fact that there is a, an organized power of darkness that is trying to thwart uh, as many people as possible from receiving Jesus as Savior. There are demonic entities that are afoot again trying to wipe out, I believe, the uh, the people of Israel because they're, they play such a crucial role in God's prophetic plan. But notice what it says here, uh, that uh, you know that we should watch out for worship of angels and turning things which are not seen, puffed up by his flesh and mind, not holding fast to the head. If any kind of teaching about angels or spiritual warfare gets you so focused on angels and or spiritual warfare, you forget about Jesus. Yeah. You forget about God. Um, you missed it. There were, there were some popular books uh, that were written during the same time called This Present Darkness about spiritual warfare. And it was all about what the demons were doing and how they were getting ready to take over. And, yep. and oh, you know, if God's people don't pray, then it's going to, you know. And, and it just, uh, they, they were page turners. They were very interesting. Yep. But the problem was God just seemed to be sort of an afterthought. Hmm. He wasn't really involved on the scene. Jesus wasn't there defending his people and yeah. so on. It was all just about us and them and, and so on. Yeah. So you have to be very, very careful with that. Uh, judge any kind of spiritual warfare teaching you get by this one qualifier. Does it point you to a greater confidence, a greater connection with our Lord Jesus Christ? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Yeah, great, great, thank you. Well, Yanni, thank you for that uh, great question. Appreciate being part of the show. A question from Donnie, 
Who are the black Hebrew Israelites? Uh, why are they so offensive? Why are they Jewish? Um, well, I can answer the last one, no, but <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> um, the black Hebrew Israelites, if you want a, a good condensed version of their history, their methodology, and some good scriptural grounding on how to deal with them, I recommend the ministry of Vocab Malone. That's not his birth name, but that is the name he has taken the personage of. Um, fantastic ministry. He does streams on YouTube dealing with them a lot on social media as well. He'll post clips of their more vocal members and where and when they fall short of scripture. And he wrote a book titled Barack Obama and the Black Hebrew Israelites. Uh, more about the latter than the former, but it's meant to be an overview of their history. Mm. So when you're encountering them, you're going to encounter a lot of profanity, you're going to encounter a lot of overt racism, you're going to encounter a lot of, I guess, showboating, for lack of a better term. If you ever come across a street corner, you see these guys wearing like cargo pants and, you know, regular modern clothing, but they've got tassels sewn on them for some reason. Mm. It's because they're selectively trying to obey the Jewish law and say that they're the real Jews. Mm. And they'll, of course, no, not doing the voice to be a racial stereotype <laughs> or anything. It's just ingrained in my head because you'll just hear them showboating over and over and over again, just going, uh, you know, just turn to a random passage in the Bible. And it's just going, and it says in the prophet Isaiah chapter 30 at verse 23, then he, who, he, who he will give the rain for your seed. Now this shows that white people are going to be enslaved because they will be given as rain in abundance. And literally the competence of their handling of scripture wouldn't go farther than that. Now, if you want to know why they are, first of all, are so offensive, it's because they only have that one tool in their tool belt, aggression, victimization, and racism. But when it comes to the foundations of this false doctrine, the idea isn't a new one. It's literally the Judaizer Galatian heresy all over again, that you can't follow the Jewish Messiah unless you become Jewish, but it's literally interwoven with very, very recent United States-based uh, victimization of ethnic minorities. And I don't just say black people, I say ethnic minorities. Why? Well, their founder had a vision in his apartment of a black man in a white tux with a perfectly round afro, to give you an idea of the time and era he was coming up with this nonsense, mm. and said that the angel gave him a 12 tribes chart that revealed that the true Jews weren't those awful Edomites, I'll talk about that more in a second, occupying the land of Israel, it was actually just laying out this chart of how an ethnic minority, if you're Peruvian, if you're Puerto Rican, if you're Hispanic, if you're, you know, Guatemalan, whatever, uh, Africans were, of course, the tribe of Judah. So mm -hmm. they would say, if you're black, that means you're a real Jew. It's an mm -hmm. ethnic color-based distinction, not an actual uh, tie to the patriarch Judah. They believe that the white ethnicity, some groups differ on this. It's a very wide internet uh, grown cult for sure. Mm. Uh, but that the invention of white people was actually an experiment on the island of Patmos where a mad scientist tried to remove the soul from someone and it ended up resulting in white skin. So they would, yeah, they would identify anyone with uh, low melanin, if you will, uh, as being a descendant of Esau, that they are categorically hated by God, uh, 
taking out of context, of course, Malachi 1, Esau, I have hated, Jacob, I have loved. And then, of course, they would use that as the hope one day that Jesus will come back and make them all fly around the world and shoot lasers out of their eyes and enslave white people and make them their sex slaves. So that's the gospel for them, the idea that if they go back to observing very selectively, very ceremoniously, very outwardly, pharisaically, the Jewish law, then they will one day get to enslave white people, and that's their hope and dream. That's eternal life for them. So when you're dealing with them, first of all, just take their claims on a case-by-case basis, have maybe a first-grade understanding of how to actually read the text, and don't get bullied down. If you know a little bit of their history and their methods, again, I'd recommend Vocab Malone's book, Barack Obama and the Black Hebrew Israelites, to get a good start on that. But it's going to encourage you to further Bible study and knowing your Old Testament, because they will just shout you down, they will curse you out, they will pride themselves in racism, and in the same breath, victimize themselves for you being a racist, which shows the kind of irrationality that only a cult could produce. So when it comes to that group, be very careful because a lot more of them are getting violent these days than they Mm. used to be, and they always have been. But also note as well that these people need the gospel. These people, yes, you human beings made in the image and likeness of God, need the gospel just like anyone else does. They're choosing and turning to cultural victimizations of themselves, which is very prominent especially since 2008 in the United States, and it's been cultivated. Now, good two things to keep under your belt. They've made false prophecies, so you can handle them the same way you would with Mormons and saying, why do you trust this guy as a source of revelation? When he said the United States was going to be nuked, he was wrong twice. And, of course, other claims and noting, okay, you say that's how to handle the text. Why is it that that doesn't line up with, first of all, the chapter, secondly, the rest of Scripture, and third, why is it that you're focusing on your hatred of me rather than God's love for you? Mm-hmm. And that, I think, will melt more hearts than, uh, I guess, fracture brains, because talking to them after a while does weigh on you. Yep. Okay. Moving Sounds on. good. All yeah. right. <laughs> good stuff. Thank you, uh, Donnie, for that uh, question. I hope that helps you out. Question from Yari, as we approach the end of our show here. Are the Palestinians descendants of the Philistines? I've heard this talk before. No, is no, this no, no, true? Yeah, now, to Maybe? Understand, understand a little bit about the, 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 even the term Palestinians. Mm. Uh, the term Palestine was given to the territory by a Roman general as a way of humiliating the Jews way back uh, roughly around the time of Jesus. Uh, the Philistines were a historical enemy of Israel And so because this uh, particular general did not like the Jews, did not like all the hassle uh, dealing with the Jews, they changed the name from Judea and Samaria to uh, Palestine. Palestine. And note, Uh, the Philistines proper had been exterminated by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians 600 years prior to this. There were no uh, Philistines left, so we can eliminate that. Who are the modern Palestinians? Uh, The modern Palestinians are not an autonomous people group. They trace their lineage back to Syria. They trace their lineage to Jordan. They trace their lineage to Egypt. Yasser Arafat, the Palestinian par excellence, was a Egyptian as far as as his uh, lineage is concerned. So where did the whole deal with the Palestinians come up with? Well, in the early 60s, uh, Yasser Arafat formed the Palestine Liberation Organization. Now, this was before the 1967 war. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of going back to pre-1967 boundaries is, is a non-starter. Uh, they aren't interested in that. Mm-hmm. But uh, they weren't getting a lot of traction as far as uh, sympathy in the world goes. So Yasser Arafat contracted with a New York City public relations firm who came up with the idea of calling them Palestinians, mm. as in uh, a hearkening back to what the territory was called under the Brits and the Ottomans before uh, the uh, partition agreement and so on. So no, um, no connection there. They are, uh, again, Syrians, they're Jordanians, and they are Egyptians. Yeah. They're not Palestinians. Great, awesome, well, thank you, Yari. Um, Troy, we'll get your question no, tomorrow. We can deal if you with can, it. You, yeah? yeah? Are you sure? Okay. Yeah. Um, my grandpa said the reason he lived to be 100 is because he accepted Christ. His brothers died in their 30s, and they weren't saved. Is this true? When you get saved, are you redeemed from the curse after the fall? No, read 1 Corinthians 15. It's very plain in black and white. When it comes to this present reality, we're still dealing with the fall, our fallenness, and this fallen, sinful, death and dying state. But it is only after the resurrection that that which is keeping us from Christ by nature will be replaced and ultimately overcome by immortality and life. So the claim that, uh, oh, I live to be 100 because of my relationship with Jesus, hey, something to be thankful for to God with. But the idea, the false doctrine that, uh, well, you receive Jesus, all your problems are over, you'll never get sick, you'll never be foolish, you'll never have anything bad happen to you ever again, that's not true. Yeah. And I guess to sum all that up, Jesus died at age 33. So. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. That's yeah. a good point. Well, thank you for being part of a Reason for Hope. We're going to go live again in, in half an hour, Book of Ezekiel, our Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. Night, so well, a really intense prophetic section, Ezekiel 37, the restoration of Israel to the land and their restoration spiritually. Very good. We'll stick around for that. We'll be live on the same platforms. You join us, just uh, refresh your page. In 30 minutes, we'll be live. If not, we'll see you again tomorrow, same time, same place. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.